0: Psalm 65, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far off seas, who established the mountains by his strength being clothed with power you who still the noise of the seas and the noise of their waves and the tumult of the peoples they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs you make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pasture, pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. Let's pray together. Our Lord, what we read... The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Jesus is in the process of first declaring to the, the community his gospel truth, but he does it in the form of a parable, which is stunning and mysterious to the apostles because they're wondering, Jesus, why are you stating your truth in these mysterious ways that are not clear statements, they're illustrations? And then you don't explain the illustration. Why is that? And Jesus has already explained to them why that is when he explains the parable in verses uh, chapter 4-4. Verse, beginning in verse thir- 13, um, well, let me, let me go back to ch- chapter 4, verse 3. This is all, I wasn't supposed to do this at all. Chapter 4, verse 3, he's speaking to the crowd. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. End of narrative. No explanation on what this means. And so when he is with the apostles, verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, so disciples and apostles, with the 12, asked him about the parable. What gives here? And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Whoa, 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 stop, Jesus. Why are you even bothering speaking out anything if you're doing this in a way they won't understand? Well, he's going to go on and say, well, those whom God purposes to understand will understand. Because those in whom the Holy Spirit is doing the work of drawing them will sit there and ask themselves the same question you just asked me. They will ask the Lord the same question you just asked me. What does that mean? Lord, what does that mean? Lord, what does that mean? Lord, what does that mean? Oh, that's what it means. And what does Jesus say? Well, number one, he says to the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Really, you guys don't get this one? It's a really simple one. It's a really simple one. The sower sows the word. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, as we're going to see in the balance of this whole narrative, our number one job in this place is to sow the seed. Sow the seed. Understand what the gospel is. Be able to, under, to explain the gospel in several different formats. There's more than one way of presenting the gospel. And you can change, well, different kinds of terrain, different kinds of fields. You sow different kinds of seed, but it's all this, the word of God. You sow the seed, in, and it's a different format, but God is the one who does the work. Your job is sow seed. Everything else is God. Do you not understand this parable? Really, you guys don't get this? <laughs> How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside. The word that goes out to the, some the, the of the seed goes alongside the, the road and it, does, it doesn't it does go anywhere. The birds come and just grab it up and it's their dinner. And then there's the seed that's sown in the rocky ground and immediately because of the in higher heat level of that soil that seed germinates more quickly but then it doesn't isn't able to get its roots down and it dies it withers and dies very quickly and then you've got the seed that is sown among the thorns and it grows up and grows up and then it gets choked off by the thorns by that environment and then there's the seed that's sown in the actual prepared field and it bears for it brings forth a harvest some 30 fold some 60 some 100 now that is what lays behind what continues and then Jesus goes on and talks about the light a lamp verse 23 excuse me verse 21 and he said to them is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or on a bed or on a bed or under a bed excuse me or under a bed Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything nor has anything be kept secret that will shall not that should but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Everything that people think is can be kept private is going to be brought to light. Our God is the God of light. Everything's going to be brought to light. There's nothing going to be hidden. There's nothing hidden from the sight of God, and it's ultimately going to be put in the view of the entire human race and of the angels. There is a light. There is a light that's coming. And then he goes on and gives, and this is the new material, uh, beginning in verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head, and when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now why is Jesus saying this? What is our role in this whole thing? Jesus has talked about the seed. He's talked about the effect of the seed. He's talked about how some of the seed produces nothing and some of the seed ends up producing a harvest. What is our role? What does the farmer do? The farmer sows the seed. And then what does the farmer do? The farmer sits and waits and waits. As the rain comes... And the seed germinates. What work is the farmer doing? He's only doing the work of waiting, of patience. He is seeing all this happen, but he's not making it happen. His contribution is to put the seed out there. And then the rest of it, it's all what? God's work. The rain comes, the proper amount of sun, you get the good weather, and sometimes you'll have a harvest of 30-fold, sometimes a harvest of 60-fold, sometimes a harvest of 100-fold. And it depends on the environment and so forth. But what does the farmer do? He sows the seed, and he harvests the mature grain. Who does the work in the spiritual realm? Who does all the work? God does. We sow the seed and I've quoted this many times. Guys went to be with the Lord about 60 years ago, Donald Gray Barnhouse, and he's still on the radio, believe it or not. And uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse said, when I preach the word, my responsibility ends two inches past my mouth. It's God's job. It's God's job. It's God's job. We sow the seed. It's God's job that it bear fruit. And we've had testimonies just this morning of people sharing the gospel and reaching out and having responses. This morning in the Sunday school class, Stephen Meek shared this testimony about he and Javier uh, confronting a guy who was an open, hardcore, hardcore, hardcore atheist and they're texting this guy, and he's actually responding to their messages. Well, they can't make that happen. God does it. It's called resurrection, it's called the light, pushing away the darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, The incessant prayer we should have in this world, which we've already prayed together as a congregation, Lord, open doors of opportunity for us to speak the gospel to people. And our responsibility is sowing the seed, and then as the opportunity comes, and we may not even be the seed sower in many cases, when we are the ones who, humanly speaking, God uses uses as the harvester. Casting seed? And harvesting the crop everything in between is whose job God's job do you want to be part of that enterprise when you step into the presence of the Creator God who gave you life when you step into his presence at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ which is that judgment for purposes of reward do you want to be able to say hey yeah Jesus Thank you for granting me that opportunity. And he will turn around and say, thank you for stepping through that door of opportunity. Here's a reward. Don't we want that? Of course we do. What do we do? Well, ask every day, Lord, will you grant me an opportunity to speak, even if it's just one sentence, to speak a word of truth? We just had a testimony from Vincent of people who shared the gospel truth with him. How long did it take that guy <laughs> with the light on him? It took him years to allow that God of light to embrace him. Did it happen? It happened. Who was the master of that harvest process? The God of the harvest. Do you want to be part of that enterprise? I would dare say that day is coming. That will be the number one thing we will have wished. Whether we have or haven't, we will be grateful that we did or regretting that we didn't. It's the number one task that we have in this world. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. Then just keep going on with your life. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. You know what, folks? We've got all this deep science. Why do seed? Well, we can... We can describe chemical processes and all this stuff. But ultimately, it all happens because the life-giving God makes it happen in every instance. He sleeps by day and rises, excuse me, sleeps by night and rises by day. Unless you're me, then you sleep by day. Okay. Uh, And the sea grows. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. You're not part of that process. You sowed the seed, that's your part. And that your other part is coming where you're a harvester. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the apostles and other disciples. This is your job. You're seeing me do it. Follow my example. Verse 30. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. Of all the cultivated seeds on the planet, now I've been told that orchid seeds are actually smaller, but orchids were on the other side of the world. They've never even seen orchids, so don't mess with Jesus here. The smallest cultivated seed is this tiny, tiny, tiny seed, the mustard seed. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth, but when it is sown, it grows up, and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. The smallest of the seeds, cultivated seeds, is thrown out and creates this big tree. Do you want to be able to say in that day of to come when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, Wow! God will create outcomes. God will create outcomes. Just totally do not expect. We sow the seed. And I've shared this uh, illustration uh, several times, but it's interesting to me that when Columbus wanted to go across the, what he thought was the gigantic Atlantic Ocean to China, he doesn't even know North and South America are there. <laughs> the first, the most, the most seafaring people in all of Europe are the Portuguese. The Portuguese are already in the process in Columbus's days, in the, in the mid-1400s. They're already in the process of going down around Africa so they can come to the Far East, to India, and then to China, all that. They know those places are there. They want to develop trade with those people. They're not going straight to the west because the earth's too big. You know the Portuguese knew how big the earth was? They knew. And I won't go into that. I can tell you this story later. They actually knew what the size of the earth was. And so they're going down around Africa. And Columbus came to them and said, well, I'd like you to supply me with some ships and crews and all that so I can go west to the Orient. And they said, no, that's knucklehead. That's way too far. You can't carry enough stuff (laughs) to make it that far. Why do you think we're going down around Africa? And so he went to the Spaniards who knew less. (laughs) And Ferdinand and Isabella agreed. Oh, yes, we will supply you with ships and you can go to the west. Well, it's very interesting. The Portuguese did make it around Africa. They did make it to India. In the early 1500s and when they got to India supposedly one of the things energizing them is we will be able to take Christianity to India something we know those Indians know absolutely nothing about and so they got to India and one of the first people groups they encountered were in southwest India along the coast there they met the members of the Martoma Church the witness of Thomas' church. The apostle Thomas, this is outrageous. He had walked all the way to India and started a church in the first century, started a church in southwest India, and the Portuguese, one of the first people groups they met, were the members of the Martoma Church. Now, put yourself in the place of Thomas. He is going <laughs> on foot <laughs> all that distance. He will be Mart. He's going to be speared to death there in India. But before he is speared to death, he is casting seed. And I would dare say within his lifetime, there he's seeing people. He's seeing a harvest that God is bringing about. But he's sowing seed. And then, 1,500 years later, the Portuguese get there and discover this harvest that's been ongoing and ongoing and ongoing for 1,500 years. Would you like to have a life that has an outcome like that of people who have been harvested into the kingdom because you took a moment to share two or three or four sentences with somebody about the work of, the, of Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, come in the flesh, who is the redeemer. You took that opportunity, you shared that truth with them, and you may have never encountered, you may never encounter that person again. You might, but you might not. But who makes the seed generate? Who makes it come to life? God does. Your job is to sow the seed. And then you're a harvester, either of seed you have sown or seed that someone else has sown, and that's now created a great crop. So you may be the one who sowed the seed, or you may, be, you may be the evangelist that sowed out the seed, or you may be the evangelist that called people into the harvest. But God does all the work, and he's simply saying to you and to me, would you like to join me in this enterprise? Would you like to be in partnership with the true and living creator god of course you would if you're truly born from above if you're truly born of the spirit you would love nothing more than that the ultimate seed sower is our lord jesus christ look at the evangelist that jesus was it's shocking as you read through the gospel accounts. Jesus was all over the place. Jesus went up to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is all over Galilee. He's all over Decapolis. He's, he's all over the place. And the apostles and other disciples are witnessing this. And then they're going, he will send them out to do things in imitation of him. He exhibits to them what to say and do, and then he sends them out to say and do it, and he enables them by the power of his Holy Spirit to do it. But the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made, the ultimate sowing, was the sowing of himself onto the cross. Father, if it be possible, pass this cup from me. Jesus... Had an idea, he had a firm idea of the torture, the pain he was about to go through. He praised that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane immediately before his arrest. If it be possible, pass this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus set aside his own feelings in favor of serving the Father. And he went to the cross and served not only the Father's purposes, he served our need. He took the penalty for our sin. He took all of the hell that you and I deserve on himself on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He paid off our sin debt so that all we have to do to receive the benefit is hold out an empty hand. And say to God, may I please... May I please? And as we come to the Lord's table, that's what we are celebrating. Why did Jesus institute the communion, what we call the communion, this, this Lord's Supper? Because we are so easily distracted. <laughs> we need this constant reminder of what is the core reality of our relationship with God. Why, am I, why do I have a welcome with God? Because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, plus nothing. Amen. I'm going to invite Master Mahalek, Master Medina, join us here.